0: Welcome, those of you online, to New Hope Chapel Sunday morning praise and worship service. You know, the title of my sermon this morning is A Good Neighbor. And my text is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to, to, to 27, or 37, rather. And uh, I, I think you have a handout, like I used to back in the old days. You have the, the title, the, the text, in the, in the New King James, which is what I'm preaching on. It's nice to have the same words so that everybody can follow everybody at the same time and not have all these other translations. I'm not making a statement on the New King James by having it, but it's a habit of mine. So uh, you have those for your easy reference together with the outline. Well, follow me as I go to Psalm 1914, as I seek his anointing. And so this morning, dear Lord, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? Amen. You know, if you have ever watched the President of the United States deliver the State of the Union address, in recent years, you know that at some point in the speech, he will point to the balcony... And he'll point and he'll introduce an ordinary citizen and he'll introduce them as a hero of this country. Now, you may not know this, but that started back with President Ronald Reagan and he introduced a man by the name of Lenny Skutnik. And to this day, reporters will ask the presidential aides, who are the Skutniks this year? You know, Larry Skutnik was a federal worker very casual, walking down the street, going to work, minding his own business, until the day that Air Florida Flight 90 crashed into the Potomac River. See, the flight had taken off from Washington and was bound for Florida, and it developed eyes on its wings, and that is what caused the plane to come down as it tried to go over the Washington Street Bridge. You know, in the next moment, several of the passengers had fallen into the icy river, and soon a helicopter, however, came, but they were only able to drop ropes, which was able to only save one person at a time. And there was one lady in the water who was struggling vehemently because she was so frozen and so cold that she could hardly lift her arms above, her, above the water line. And so it looked desperately that she was indeed going to drown. Now, while everyone else on that bridge was shouting encouragement to her to, to keep in wait and just keep pedaling, uh, breaking or doing... The, <laughs> didn't I tell you? <laughs> what do you call that when you're... Treading water. Ah, treading water. Treading water. I should have put those notes better in my, in my sermon here. But she, she was surely in, in, in problems. And then we had Leonard, Lenny uh, Skutnik, who simply on his own crossed the police barricade, jumped into the river at his own risk, and he brought this later and pulled her to shore, who otherwise, who surely would have, would have drowned. Well, the President of the United States called him a hero. And you know what the Lord Jesus Christ would have called him a good neighbor. You know, of all the stories that Jesus told, along with the prodigal son, perhaps equally famous is the story of the good Samaritan. And this story is directly related to the Lenny Scutniks of the world. And this story begins for us with a lawyer asking a good, but good question, but with a bad motive. And beginning with our text, verse 25, which states, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now everyone ought to be asking that question. What should I do to inherit eternal life? Because I believe that is life's greatest question. That is, how can I know for sure that when I die, I will go to heaven? But in this instance, Jesus does not answer the question. Instead, he asked a question. Jesus replied in verse 26. He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Now, there is a reason that Jesus did not give this man a direct answer to his question. The man was not really seeking information. We read here that he was simply trying to test Jesus. That is, he was trying to trap him. You know, you'll find in the Bible that when anyone came to Jesus with an honest question, he gave them an honest answer. But when they came to him with a dishonest question, he always seemed to turn the tables, fire back a question to them. Because you see, you don't test Jesus. He will test you. And this lawyer replies to the question Jesus posed, with the perfect answer. Verse 27. And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied in verse 28. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now at first I'm sure there was a very smug satisfied smile on this lawyer's face knowing that he had given the right answer but this smile was not to last long because I think the lawyer soon realized that he had dug his own pit and fallen into it and even though Jesus affirmed it as a great answer the lawyer follows up with another question verse 29 but he Wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? You see, like any good lawyer, he was looking for a loophole. He was trying to separate people into two categories, neighbors and non-neighbors. And he gave Jesus a golden opportunity to tell one of the greatest stories, to teach one of the greatest lessons, and to shock the world at the same time. And verse 30 It states, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, the Jericho Road is a 17-mile, very narrow, dangerous, winding road with high cliffs on one side and barren hills on the other side. And even to this day, if it has rained quite a bit, that road is essentially impassable. And as a matter of fact, the road was so dangerous that back then it had a name, which was the Way of Blood. But it was dangerous for another reason. You know, Bible scholars estimate that there were perhaps 12,000 thieves and thugs in the Judean wilderness surrounding Jerusalem. And these gangs, they roamed the wilderness like Packs of wild dogs, attacking innocent victims, beating them, and robbing them. So here was this man who had been victimized by some thieves and not only robbed, but beaten and left for dead. Now Jesus introduces in his story four characters. The thieves, the priest, the Levite, and the good Samaritan. These people tell us what kind of neighbor we really are to other people and what kind of attitude dictates how we see others and how we treat others. And so first in your outline, consider larceny. What is yours is mine, I will take it. You know, there is an attitude, I think, perhaps in most of the people of the world that they have is that that can be categorized as theft. Simply put, it says, what is yours is mine, I'll take it. You know, there are far more thieves than you might realize. Clearly, the robber who takes money that does not belong to him is a thief. But the rapist who takes sexual pre- pleasure from someone is a thief. The adulterer who takes another man's wife is a thief. Corporate executives and CEOs who bilk innocent investors and stockholders of billions of dollars are thieves. But you can be a thief in more than one way. You might be a thief here today and not even realize it. Let me give you a definition of a thief that you may have perhaps never heard before. God has given us both things and people. God has given us things to use, and God has given us people to love. But when you begin to love things and use people, you become a thief. If you are by nature either a taker, that is, you take things that don't belong to you, or, as you're going to see in a moment, you are a keeper, and you don't share the things that do belong to you. In other words, you're either a taker or a keeper, but you are not a giver then you are a thief if your attitude is what is it what what's in it for me you're probably a thief if your attitude is i want my needs met i don't care about anybody else you're probably a thief if your attitude is i want it my way you're probably a thief if your attitude is just make sure i get mine you're probably A thief. You know, I read about a little boy who opened the refrigerator and he found the last piece of his mother's award-winning chocolate cake. The only problem was it had his little brother's name on it. Well, he took it out, took off his brother's name, and began eating that piece of cake as fast as he could. Just as the last tasty morsel disappeared into his mouth, his mother walked in and said, Derek! I cannot believe you would eat that whole piece of cake without thinking one time about your little brother. He said, oh, I was thinking about him the whole time I was eating. I kept worrying he would come in before I finished it. Well, if you happen to be a thief, either with your hands or with your heart, let me warn you of something. Thieves are never satisfied by what they steal. Because if they were, they would not continue stealing. Now, here's another point. Here's a little story. For more than an hour, a scrawny little man sat at a bar staring into his glass. Suddenly a big truck driver walked in, sat down next to him, grabbed the guy's drink and gulped it down. Suddenly, this poor little fellow just burst out crying, and the trucker said, Hey, buddy, I was just joking. I'll buy you another drink. The little man said, Oh, that's not the problem. This has been the worst day of my life. I was late for work, and I got fired. And then when I left the office, I realized that my car had been stolen, and I had to walk six miles home. And then when I walked in the door at home, I found my wife with another man. I came here because I decided to just end it all. And then you show up and drank my poison. (laughs) You see, there is an attitude that says, I do what I want to do no matter how it affects other people. You know, they look at others and they say, What is yours is mine, I will take it. They are controlled by greed and self-absorption. Second, in your outline, consider legalism. What is mine is mine, I will keep it. Now Jesus moves on to the second major players in this act. Verses 31 to 32 states, Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite When he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. You know, the two people that you would have thought would have stopped for sure to help this man would have been the priest and the Levite because they were the religious crowd. The priest represented the man in the pulpit. The Levite represented the man in the pew. It's very possible that because they were coming from Jerusalem, that they had just left church but their problem was they didn't want to get involved. You know, quite frankly, this attitude is not that unusual. A few years back, a young woman in her late 20s was attacked on her way home by a man who stabbed her repeatedly, and he took over half an hour to murder her. And she screamed repeatedly for help, and at least 38 people looked down from their apartment windows and watched a crime take place not one even bothered to telephone the police and when they were asked later why they had done nothing they gave the famous response we just didn't want to get involved you know Jesus illustrates here that what they did not do when they did not do it they were becoming just like the thieves now you can be a thief in one of two ways. A thief can take something that does not belong to him or keep something that does belong to someone else. In response to that, the Bible says in Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Also, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Listen to James 4.17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. You know, in our parable, this is the problem. They, have, they, they could have done something. They could have told the authorities that there was a man here in trouble. They could have called and gotten a doctor. Today, they could have called 911, but they didn't do anything. Now, I know many of you have heard of Art Linkletter. Many of you have not. <laughs> but some of us do remember that he used to have a TV program called House Party. He would have little children <clears throat> on there, and he would ask them questions. He asked one little five-year-old boy this question. What do you want to do when you grow up? The boy said, I want to be a fireman so I can rescue people. letter says, well, what would you do? If there was a fire on the fourth floor of a hotel and you you had to get a great big fat man down. And the boy said, I'd get a rope, tie it around my waist, take the other end and toss it up to him. He could tie it around his waist and jump out. (laughs) People online got that. They're barely with laughs. See the problem with both priest and levite is not what they did. It, they didn't beat up the, the, the guy. They didn't rob him. The problem was what they did not do. Can I tell you the quickest way you can shut a church down? The quickest way you can kill this church. The quickest way you can make sure that we don't even have a church. Just do nothing. When the offering plate is passed pass it by. When the door of worship is open, pass it by. When the opportunity for ministry is available, pass it by. Any volunteers for display duty? Pantry help? You know, one of the greatest problems we have in our church, and every church, is that we have a church full of priests and Levites. A Gallup survey discovered that only 10% of American church members are active in any kind of personal ministry. You know, in other words, there's there's 50% of all church members who, who don't even have an interest in any kind of ministry. Well, 50% of the church is saying, we just don't want to get involved. Now, these are not people who are saying... I do what I want to do. These are people who say, I will only do what I have to do. I won't stick my neck out for anyone. You know, if you only do what you have to do in life, you're not a good neighbor. Third in your odd line, consider love. What is mine is yours, I will give it. You know, there is another figure in the story who, as we all know, is the hero. And Jesus says in verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now when Jesus brings in the Samaritan, he not only poured it on, but he rubbed it in. When Jesus brought the Samaritan into the story, you could have heard a giant sucking sound all the way down to Egypt as people gasped when they heard a certain Samaritan you need to understand that today we talk about the good Samaritan but 2,000 years ago the Jew felt the only good Samaritan was a dead Samaritan because they hated the Samaritans and there were several reasons the Samaritans were Jews who after Jerusalem, after Israel had been defeated by the Babylonians, they stayed behind and they intermarried some of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were an abomination in the sight of the Jews. And they even built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and they refused to worship in Jerusalem. And so if you really wanted to insult a person 2,000 years ago, all you had to do was call him a Samaritan. And that is why the Pharisee said to Jesus in John 8, 48, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Listen, every morning in his daily prayer, a Pharisee would go to the temple and out loud, thank God he had not been born a woman, a Gentile, or a Samaritan. Yet Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. Now, the reason he does this is to teach a lesson that that crowd today, perhaps the crowd this day, never thought Jesus would teach. And I'm convinced that not everybody understands the real meaning of this story. You know, a little boy returned home from Sunday school, and his mother asked him what lesson the teacher taught, and he said it was about two preachers who saw a man in the ditch But they didn't stop because he had already been robbed. Actually, Jesus told this story to illustrate to the lawyer and to all who were listening that he had asked the wrong question. The question is not, who is my neighbor? Because as you're going to see in a moment, you don't need to ask that question The question should be, am I a good neighbor? You put yourself in this story and ask yourself this question and be honest. Who would you have been that day? The thief? The priest? The Levite? The Good Samaritan? You just might be like that little girl who was in Sunday school class and the teacher was teaching the Good Samaritan story. And the teacher said, now if you saw a person lying in a ditch, beaten up, Lying in his own blood, his teeth knocked out and his scalp hanging from his head, what would you do? And the little girl spoke up and said, I think I would throw up. (laughs) Now we can come to to understand the real meaning of this story. You see, everyone is your neighbor, not just the person next door. A neighbor is a needer. If a person has a need that you can meet and you should meet, that person is your neighbor. Every time you see a person in need, you immediately become a neighbor. You become a minister with a ministry. Listen, the last three words of verse 33 tells us that what set the Samaritan apart, he had compassion. You see, what made this Samaritan so special was not the color of his skin, but the compassion in his heart. And no law could make that priest or that Levite stop, but love could make that Samaritan stop. And notice what the Samaritan did for this man. Our text, verses 34 to 35. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come back, I will repay you. He probably tore his own robe to make bandages. You know he took oil and wine from his own supplies to to use as medicine. And then he took him to an inn and paid for his upkeep. Now, two denarii may not sound like much money to you, but back in those days, it was two days' wages. And he would eventually pay for perhaps 24 days of full room and board. A good neighbor is not concerned about cost. He's concerned about compassion. Now the crowd, as we know, as we can imagine, was already about to faint because of what Jesus had already said. Now Jesus drives this knife in all the way to the hilt. And Jesus says in verse 36... So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? I'm sure the answer almost gagged the lawyer. Verse 37 states, And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Now we see the difference. We see the difference in the attitude of people and what makes you a good neighbor. A good neighbor does not say, I do what I want to do, or even I do what I have to do, but I do what I ought to do. So let me ask you a question. Are you a good neighbor? Do you see yourself as a minister with a ministry? Do you have a ministry in this church? Do you have a ministry outside this church? Like a good neighbor... Jesus is there. And if you're like Jesus, you'll be a good neighbor too. Now, I read a story about a man who was working in a shoe store in Europe. And it was during the wintertime, and he noticed a barefoot little boy outside the baker's shop next door. And he was trying to keep warm by standing on a grate that was blowing hot air outside the bakery. Here was this shoe store owner surrounded by all these shoes but he was uncertain about what he ought to do about that little boy and all of a sudden a middle-aged lady walked by she bent down, spoke a few kind words to to the kid brought him into the shoe store and bought him some brand new shoes and socks and as that boy shivering from the cold put on those warm shoes and socks he said to the lady are you God's wife? She said, no, son, I'm just one of his children. He smiled and said, well, I knew you must be kin to him somehow. You know, when you get the Lord into your heart, you will get love into your heart. And when you get love into your heart, you realize everybody, regardless of color, creed, race, or religion is your neighbor. Just like Jesus, you will be there. Well, service is over. And as we leave this house of worship, remember the great commission, and that is spread the gospel. Matthew 28, 19, 20 tells us to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. But listen, sometimes, as we present the gospel, some men eat socks and shoes, clothes for their bodies and full bellies with food before they can or will listen to your gospel. Amen? A reminder again, next week, 10.30, be here, it's not here, the service, the baptism, the food. Invite someone. It would be a nice outdoor setting, lots of fellowship. But again, please remember that VBS starts next week. We're not going to have an opportunity to set up this for the kids. We have it today. Please stay and let's get these chairs and move them off to the sides. Stack them fours. One, You know what I'm saying. So having done that, I'll see you next week.